welcome to another All Japan Women Destiny podcast. I am your host, JD, and later in this episode, you will listen to the original audio covered with myself and Kay via the Redleaf Retrocast, where we first experienced watching this All Japan Women's Classic episode from 1989. It is episode 33. Highlighted by the Lioness Asuka defending the 3WA title against a young uprising Bull Nakano. But also on this card is quite interesting because this classics episode featured the retirement of one half of the Jumping Bomb Angels, further hitting the company with a host of retirements in this year, and Lioness Asuka is right around the corner. Chigusa Nagayo is already out. Dump Matsumoto, Devil Masami, just to name a couple more. They have also re- uh, been forced into retirement via the rule of the time. And unfortunately, uh, the belief, the believed culture uh, surrounding the women, uh, women wrestlers in Japan. If you like what you hear from this episode, please consider subscribing to the Red Leaf Retrocast Patreon. We also have LLPW reviews. JD Star Reviews, and Kay and I go through the journey through the Joshi world in the 2010s as they came out of the Dark Ages. And of course, with All Japan, we will be heading into the Dark Ages once you get into the economic crisis era. When we get into the retirements, uh, especially with Lioness Asuka, you will see a shift and a struggle to find an identity uh, within All Japan Women. Yamazaki and Tateno were a backbone of the upper mid-card in the company. And when you get into the lower card, you're starting to see these classes of 85, 86, 87, and 88 all starting to emerge because there's spots to fill, people to take risks on, and one such match you can you can kind of sort of look at is this AJW tag title match, Reibu Namada and Miyori Kamiya, whom now we've seen in essentially back-to-back episodes being pushed in some capacity, or at least tried out in the lower card. Uh, they are taking on Dream Orca, which is a tag team of Etsuko Mita and Toshio Yamada. Now, of this time, there were also very much spots to fill in the tag division, or at least making tag teams, which was a major marketing point of All Japan Women. Crush Gals obviously being the most notable beauty pair. It's always been, the, the idea is always the, 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 the pair is stronger than the individual, more marketable, idol culture, etc., etc. Jumping Bomb Angels are on their are are officially gone. The Crush Gals are officially gone. Kokaku Dome is essentially done from the uh, Dump Matsumoto era. There's new ideas and fresh ideas that's needed. So at this point in time, we're seeing just all these rookies and sophomores being thrown together together in teams, given names, given identities. To see what's marketable. And you do see a lot of this in the modern era of Joshi women's wrestling. Trying to replicate this tried and true formula. And it does work. And it does from a fan's perspective or my perspective. 
make things more interesting. And I love tag team wrestling. So when a tag team comes up with a name, they, they sort of have an identity that goes along with them. And it makes it more fun to watch. And I even, to this day, it, across men's wrestling and, and the like, if it's just a, a, ta- a couple guys that's come together and they don't have a name, I will make up one for them. One Eddie Kingston, John Moxley comes to mind. I, I call them Wild Thing because of the intro song and the way they fight. Well, the Yamazaki Tateno match is exactly what you'd expect. Uh, I would also recommend checking out the, uh, I believe it's the Shigusa Nagayo retirement show in which there was the two rings and Bulnakano Yumiogura faced off against each other in one ring. Yamazaki and Tateno faced off against each other in another. And weirdly enough, when the Jumping Bomb Angels came back from America and they 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 had a new sense of confidence and Tateno was definitely the one that I think reaped the most benefits because she developed her own sense of confidence and persona to her. And oddly enough, when Yamazaki retired, she took on a much more singular role and being one of the few veterans left on the roster uh, that's been able to uh, be a featured act. Uh, she was relied upon for not so much being a focal point of the promotion for the last couple years of her career. She was there to make the others look better. And you will hear my takes as we go on through these episodes that I think that was a major miss for AJW of the time, considering they needed to fill gaps at the top of the card. And on my LLPW journey, where the promotion starts in 92, she was a major, major focal point and a major star trying to get that promotion off the ground along with Kandori and Rumi Kazuma. Now, Dream Orca is interesting because Mita goes on, as we know, to become part of LCO, very uh, famous tag team, and Yamada uh, has her famous feud with Minami Toyota, but also teaming up with her. And it's just a matter of time in, in trying to find the right fit for these tag teams. The six-woman, the, the trios match, if you will, Akira Hokuto, Suzuka Minami, and Mitsuki Nishiwaki are all teaming together. And this is now the start of people like Suzuka Minami and Nishiwaki from a previous class that are now being put into positions. It's like, okay, now it's your time to shine, your time to succeed. Let's see if you can do it. And I, the more I watch Suzuka Minami, Never do I believe that she is main event material. However, definitely that second tier type person that can be in a main event and possibly uh, uh, live up to the expectations of being there, but that like kind of white belt era, slightly below that for sure tag champion, that's where Suzuka Minami falls in. And it's quite fun to see the context of her journey. Mitsuki Nishiwaki will get into her short-lived journey up the card herself. And on the other end of this uh, the ring is not yet Grizzly Umoto, Aja Kong, and not yet Bison Kimura. 
they're still trying to find their identities and extremely young into their careers. So just from the perspective of seeing people start out, this was a fun match as well. And naturally, we have the main event, Asuka taking on against Bull Nakano. And with Linus Asuka retiring in August, as we are in May of 89, I still believe Bull, Bull Nakano was inevitably going to win this title and be at the top. And when you look at and break down where this company went for the rest of 89 and 1990 and how desperate they were to have main eventers and have more drawing stars to this day, I think a lot of people could look back on this match in particular where Bull Nakano should have won this match. It was inevitable she was to be champion. There was no other option with what they were bringing. I still think Nori Tateno could have been a factor at the very least, but they never went that route. Instead, they went with Linus Asuka would vacate this title rather than drop it to somebody. And the thing is, when you have a mandatory retirement rule, you kind of got to just pull the trigger. And what's interesting is they did this with both Crush Gals. While with people like Dump Matsumoto and even to an extent Jaguar Yokota and Devil Masami, they hinted and cemented in a way the next stars that were taking over and that were the Crush Gals from them. And they really did everything they could to put them over. And now at this point, with how much I've learned, they ne- the the booking of AJW was never about putting that next generation over. It was just taking over because of the rule. And we'll see in the 90s that once they took that mandatory retirement rule away, they had no experience and no idea how to put someone over to be a star. It was just simply take over from the vacancy that was left behind. Because it was forced upon them. When your choices are forced, you make decisions way differently than voluntarily. And this 3WA title match, Asuka against Bull Nakano, I firmly believe Bull Nakano would have been a bigger star going over Lioness Asuka here. And then you could have, no problem, the Lioness Asuka going away tour. And how... I don't think the Oda Ward card that we're going to see in July would have sold as well with Bull Nakano versus Medusa in the main event. However, you could have laid plenty of seeds down for the future of such a feud and perhaps a rematch of this Asuka-Medusa match could have still happened just maybe for the white belt or what have you. Because I don't believe this was this even they even had a champion for the All Pacific title, so Linus Oscar could have won this, and they could have done an All Pacific title match, Medusa versus Oscar, Oscar uh, versus really anybody, and you still have Bolnakano as your three WA champion. These are all valid options, and it's it's quite interesting to look behind and look ahead to what could have been done easier, and one of I will keep saying this. The biggest 
failure of AJW was being able to capitalize on putting over the next generation from the previous. They never seemed to do it. They, you could call them cowards in a lot of ways, along with their bad financial decisions. <laughs> so this was episode 33 from Corken Hall, May 14th, 1989. I hope you enjoyed listening to this new take on All Japan Women Destiny. Enjoy the original audio. I will never get tired of that Devil Masami music. All Japan Women Classics, K. Yes, AJW. AJ Dub. I'm fucking excited to talk about this episode. <laughs> saw a murder. Uh, we we saw attempted murder, okay? No, uh, there was no attempted. There, there was just murder. Classics episode 33 uh, takes place from Karakwin Hall, May 14th, 1989. We're coming off the heels of the Chigusa Nagayo retirement show, and now we got the Itsuki Yamazaki retirement show. Uh, hey, yes, the jumping bomb angels will no longer exist. <laughs> And I love that 25-year-old rule, huh, AJW? Sure don't regret that yet, are you? Yeah, so Yamazaki faces, uh, no, no shock, Norio Tateno in a retirement match. They go to their little draw, uh, they get their shit in, and they have the 10-bell salute. So, there you go. Jumping Bomb Angels are no more. Now we get the Tateno, but we, you know, to be fair, at least we get the honor of seeing uh, Tateno compete in singles matches uh, going for... Not the red belt, but the all Pacific title. Yes, yes. I'm very she's much the only one of the two to actually win a singles belt, actually. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think she's the better wrestler, anyways. So makes sense. She's cuter. Well, I mean, she's almost an old lady, so they better get moving. <laughs> I mean, that's why they're getting moving. <laughs> uh, uh, there was the AJW tag title match that followed. Raybu Namada, our girl. Our favorite Chinese wrestler of all time. Uh, although Ho-Ho Loon and uh, Jason Lee are making very good cases. She tagged with Miori Kamiya. No idea who this is. Versus the team called Dream Orca. Toshio Yamada and Etsuko Maeda. Yes. Hopefully, hopefully uh, these two names uh, ring a bell for our historians out there. Uh, yes, they, they should. They should, especially Yamada. And she becomes a very big deal uh, later on, feuding with one uh, Manami Toyota in a very legendary feud. Yes. So I like the chippiness uh, of this match overall. Um, I really liked the 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 post match chippiness, especially where uh, Kami and Raybun are very pissed off. Uh, they lost to Yamada. I mean, the match itself was besides the little bit of chippiness. It was you know your suplexes. It's it's your junior division. You know, you're up-and-comers. Right. Type match. But uh, Yamada shoves the win in, in their face, uh, <laughs> despite um, Raybun and Miori just being all pissed off. I, I, really like, I really like it when wrestlers are upset they lost, right? And it's not just they just jump the person after the match. They just confront the person, get in their face, you know, maybe a little shove warfare. And then, uh, you know, the, the victors are actually happy they won. Uh, they're not afraid to fight back kind of situation. 
More of this in my wrestling, please. Yes, I agree. Trios match. Akira, <laughs> check out this lineup. Akira Hokuto, Suzuka Manami, and Mitsuko Nishiwaki. So you got your uh, your uh, your wolves there. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Versus Kumiko Iwamoto, Nobuko Kimura, and Aja Kong. A very baby Aja Kong. Well, I believe this is our first official Aja Kong match on this classics journey of AJW. So very exciting from, you know, we saw her as her rookie. She's not Aja Kong yet. It's like we're waiting for uh, Hokuto to become the name Hokuto. Because then you know, oh man, she's almost ready. And we got Aja Kong much sooner than I than I thought. I thought that didn't happen until uh, 1990. But here we uh, are, May 1989. Rekha Shishido, as she was going by. Her shoot name, actually. Shoot name, yes. Well, shoot name is no more. Now she is Aja Kong. So uh, we're going <laughs> to get a lot of Aja Kong going forward. So oh, best be boy, prepared. Are we? Best be prepared. But as the match itself, it's just kind of, you know, standard warfare. Hokuto's amazing. Uh, I really like Suzu- Suzuka Minami. Nishiwaki's good. Uh, not so much on the Kimura Iwamoto. They're part of little uh, Bull Nakano's faction there. But Aja Kong is big and green. We'll see what happens in the future. He's a big green and very, very mean. Yes. But the main reason why we're here is this 3WA singles championship match. It is the champion Lioness Asuka. This took up like 35 minutes of our hour-long program. Uh, she's taking on Bull Nakano, whom has reached her final form. She is full-on, full blue hairspray, tall hair, face paint. We're ready, boys. Is your body ready? Yeah. We, we, we've achieved full Bull Nakano. <laughs> oh, this was so much fun. Just like right off the bat, Bull Nakano and Asuka are in each other's face. Uh, Asuka's not taking no shit, but she has no choice because Nakano and her faction are just busting her open. And it just becomes a good old-fashioned 1980s attempted murder, Dump Matsumoto style, with that mwah, Bull Nakano touch. <laughs> All I'm gonna say is without the crime tape, I'm pretty sure we saw the murder be committed. It was utterly fantastic. Uh, there is a flash cut in the match as we were watching, but that's okay because uh, as we found out, it was Bull Nakano and her team removing a turnbuckle hook. So the top rope is totally down off the ring and Nakano proceeds to use this as both a knife and a bludgeoning weapon to the face and skull of Asuka, just ripping her uh, her face open. Bolnikano screaming at the children. You hear the children screaming. All all of the women are are in fear. And there's a great great spot of Nakano just showing the bloody face to the hard hard cam and screaming at the audience. I fucking love this. And then she gets the box cutter. It's not a box cutter. It was the uh, other end of the turnbuckle hook. That's what that no, was. She, no, no, at some point, I think when she initially no. cut her open. No, no, no that's what up, we, that's what we a, thought it was. Sure? Because I'm pretty sure got, sure she got some kind of like a uh, sharp object to cut her open initially. She did not literally get a knife. No. Uh, I, I, listen, 
I think she got a knife. Listen, Boldicano killed Asuka. I don't know if Asuka's still alive. I mean, hey, are you questioning me who watched this match three straight times? I mean, I may have watched it three straight times as well. Well, you're incorrect. I, it is the bottom of the turnbuckle hook. Listen, listen. Does, does, it, does it matter when murder is committed and briefcases are, st- are used it as matters. It, it, it certainly matters on how violent it is. <laughs> I mean, this this got pretty violent. I mean, if you told me she shanked her, I wouldn't even have been surprised. There could have been a shiv in the uh, kidney uh, off to the off to the side off camera. I I I do not doubt this as a possibility. So yeah, uh, this was a just a full murder that was that was being attempted. Asuka just stood like no chance. She had a couple hope spots in. The crowd was firmly behind her. This was all about Asuka surviving and be proving how tough she is to. Bull Nakano absolutely pulling a Dump Matsumoto match here. Uh, and what what's great about this to me, Kay, is I love just the absurdity of a Dump Matsumoto match. But you grab what, the freaking briefcase, a giant G1. Well, we're not there briefcase. yet. We're not there yet. So what makes the Bull Nakano better is Bull Nakano is more mobile than Dump Matsumoto. Yes. And she has the Nunchaku additive to it all so she's she's got her karate kind of situation going on so it's it's very similar but that extra touch really puts this over the edge so there's nunchakus to the sides asuka gets the uh nunchakus as well you know trying to fight back but there's always you know interference in this this poor ref just has no chance (laughs) oh he was just like listen i can't stop this murder and if i stop her she'll kill me It, it it you really have to put in your mind that and i could easily suspend my disbelief that this ref is absolutely terrified if he stops this match he might die <laughs> like it might be over he might not have to see his kids when he gets home because right. he might be dead because he knows that bull nakano will be like oh dqa all right uh say goodbye to your children <laughs> but uh i will i will point out one thing when you do the monster comparison i think what makes bonacano seem much more terrifying is because she comes off more vicious because she's so much more mobile and can pick up much more things and do much more things she comes off far more violent like she's like what Matsumoto evolved right no yeah she has leveled up that that violence uh, that made dump Matsumoto so unique and interesting so where dump would use like trash cans and stuff Bonacano says well trash can I have a steel metal case that I'm gonna pick up over my head and throw it five feet across the ring and and it just goes bam right into Asuka's head uh <laughs> She, she chucked probably it got a concussion. <laughs> oh, she chucked it at her dome so hard it bounced. Right, and this this is when when we say a a giant like metal steel case, this thing was at least three feet feet long and two feet in width. Like it's it, as big it as is her torso. massive. Yeah. So we were joking. It's Bull Nakano's G1 briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's Bull Nakano's G1 briefcase. That shit ain't breaking like uh, like Kenta break uh, or Tanahashi using his head to break the uh, uh, Kenta's little U.S. briefcase there. Yeah, I this was great. Jay White to, I see Jay White try to take that from Bull Nakano. <laughs> oh man. So uh, the ref is like, "Oh, that's the final straw. That's it. I'm taking all of your weapons away." And of course, Bull Nakano 
proceeds to beat the shit out of this guy, and fearing for his life, he's like, fuck this, I'm getting the shit kicked out of me, DQ or I'm out of here. <laughs> and he, he sprints, I'm like, he's gone. He, yeah, he, 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 he DQ'd her and ran. <laughs> Meanwhile, Boldicano grabs the red belt as if she had won, and is celebrating with the red belt as they try to take it away from her because she did not win the belt because she got DQ'd. And then she leaves with the red belt as if she won it. I love this. It's one of my favorite matches of 1989 history. It's it's up there. And uh, for a DQ finish and building a rivalry and Bull Nakano coming off as an absolute top heel in the company, uh, I couldn't ask for more, and I just want more. So uh, that's a big uh, my, thumbs my- up. Go check out this match. May 14th, 1989, AJW Classics here. There you go. Yes, uh, my my favorite side-by-side is the one shot of Asuka being carted out. (laughs) Yeah, she out, And then the other shot of Olakano celebrating as she leaves with the stolen red belt. It's very well done camera work there. 